So when you're the world's biggest coffee company, you might not expect that an offhand comment from a single partner would result in one of the biggest campaigns in your history. But when Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz was in the middle of hosting a series of forums with partners from around the country, that's exactly what happened. Literally, the group of us that were there helping to facilitate the forum all looked at one another and the hair just went up in the back of our necks like we knew she had just touched a nerve. That's Corey DeBrowa, CCO at Starbucks, and my guest on today's episode of Arthur Page's new CCO podcast, where we'll explore what it takes to be a next-gen CCO. I'm Stacy Tank, CCO at The Home Depot. Today I'm talking to Corey about that moment when Starbucks found its next great campaign, but more importantly, about what happened next. How Starbucks pivoted to using story-driven content and digital tools to listen, not just broadcast, and have conversations with its partners and its customers all over the world. We're here in Seattle this morning, the home of Starbucks. Corey, welcome. Stacy, thanks for joining me here. I think it'd be fun to start by talking about the genesis of Upstanders. How did it come to be? So at the moment that it was born, we were in the process of hosting a series of what we call partner open forums around the country. Howard thought, what better way to gather the point of view of our you know, 200,000 partners around the country than to literally go out around the country? And so I think we were three open forums into that journey. Los Angeles was the third. So we were in Los Angeles having a forum about race. We had had a lot of discussion up until this point, and one of our partners came to the mic and essentially said, Howard, you talk all the time about how we should not be bystanders. Why wouldn't we be upstanders? Now, in parallel, we had hired a guy named Rajiv Chandasekharan, and Rajiv is an esteemed journalist. He had held posts like bureau chief in places around the world that were literally in the middle of theaters of war. So he was at the forum and we were literally looking at one another. And I think the idea literally just clicked from that point. Why not tell 10 tales of valor or 10 tales of unexpected contributions from ordinary folks in our communities doing extraordinary things? And that was really the birth of the series, the idea, and it all sort of spun forward from there. Everything starts with a great story, and I think you've done that really well with Upstanders. On the site, there's this one phrase to me that says it all, which is that we have a choice to stand by or to stand up. And then you tell these amazing stories of just the raw humanity and the fallibility of people, right, the mistakes we make and what we learn. And I was wondering if you could talk about the content, maybe go a little bit more in depth into how you're both housing that content in a beautiful place, but you're also bringing the content to where people are and then inviting them to engage with it. So Rajiv very quickly started to go out and report all of these stories. Some of these were things that he had been made aware of since he had come to Starbucks, where they were literally things that had been posted to social and that we were sort of learning about on the fly. Some were coming from our stores, from our partners who were saying, hey, I had this conversation, you really need to meet this person. Some had been lightly reported in the media, but had not really been anything that had garnered attention, but in our view, constituted great examples of citizenship. And, you know, 2016, we'll look back on it and probably think any number of things. But one thing at that moment that was very clear is that we were sailing into uncharted waters and it was pretty dark. You know, the the uh, presidential campaign had been pretty contentious, vitriolic. Howard felt that, uh, you know, really the civility of the country was sort of up for grabs at that moment. 
And so literally what we thought of with Upstanders was what a great opportunity to talk about our belief in what a for-profit company can do to contribute to society, not just to shareholders. And what a great piece of counter-programming because inherently these stories were so upbeat and optimistic and really telescoped right down to the individual communities and what these people were doing to make those communities better. And so all of that kind of cohered into Rajiv's amazing reporting and storytelling. And then we started to think about within this dynamic that we were experiencing as a country, what was the best distribution strategy? And we actually landed on multiple distribution strategies as a consequence of all that. One thing that Howard has said for a long, long time is that Starbucks has always thought of growth as being a byproduct of using our scale for some kind of good. I think Howard always believed that growth really meant that we could invest more in our people, we could invest more in our communities, we could invest more in sort of the platform of coffee around the world. The insight that Howard has was essentially the the three minutes between ordering your coffee on your Starbucks app. Then you had a period of time in which you were waiting for that order to show up. His insight was, what do we do on the app with those three minutes? And so therein was the secret or the key to the distribution strategy. How do you use that three minutes to engage your customer base, knowing that you have a built-in audience of 65 million people a week that are coming through your store? And even if you got a fractional share of those people, the good you could do and the scale you could achieve and the stories that you could tell would be manifest. And so that was really the insight. That's beautiful. And what an important moment in our world to be able to tell some of these positive human stories that bring us together instead of dividing us. Corey, can you talk about how Starbucks engages with its different audiences generally and then how Upstanders fits into that? Probably the best way uh, to think about this or conceptualize it is the role of the coffee house in society. The coffee house has for centuries had this very pivotal, primal kind of role in communities all over the world for connection. And when we think about the role that we play, we definitely string those things together, coffee and customers and connection and community. You know, So when we think about engagement, we think about what the physical manifestation of that looks like within our business, the thing that customers already know us for. And so if, you know, 65 million people a week in this country are coming through our doors and see us in that capacity, then all of our tool set has to replicate that. And so the tool set that we've built and how it lent itself to upstanders was, again, sort of creating this foundational set of tools or connection points so that that kind of engagement in the digital world could in some way replicate the spirit or the vibrancy or the authenticity of what it was like in the physical world. Can you talk more about the system that you had in place to amplify, maybe create the content and then amplify the upstander stories? Well, some of it we had to create. I think the way I would answer that is sort of back up a couple of years and talk about what we didn't have and what we had to put in place to get us to that moment. And so I joined the company in late 2009. And in 2010, we started to see around the country a movement around open carry. There are legal precepts that allow you to do that in 46 of 50 states. And we had started to see in our stores this sort of grassroots idea that the open carry movement would stage thank you Starbucks events in our stores as a way of saying thanks for not kicking us out. There had been other businesses that had explicitly banned those weapons or had told people that 
Uh, that's not something that we accept in our location. And for a variety of reasons, most of them having to do with partner safety, our, our people safety, we didn't want them in the middle of those kinds of dialogues. And therefore, we, we hadn't really responded. And then Sandy Hook happened. And one of the things that is probably not that well known is that we lost a partner during Sandy Hook. She was the volunteer well, she was a shift supervisor in our store, literally one community over, and she was the uh, substitute kindergarten teacher because the regular teacher was out on maternity leave. And so at that moment, I think the issue of guns in our environment just took on a very different meaning. Her name was Lauren Rousseau, and we talked a lot with her family about what, what was it that uh, they felt was the right thing to do. So this had gone on for months and months and months. And one of the things that had become clear to me as the communicator is that our tool set was sort of woefully lacking. We had a newsroom, but the facility of that newsroom to really engage and to storytell and to solicit input and to do all the things that sort of a modern corporate newsroom should do was was woefully lacking. And so we had to re-architect the entire tool set, knowing that at some point, we were going to publish a letter, which we called a respectful request of Starbucks customers. Respectful request, not a ban, not a telling you to do something, but literally a request for our customers not to bring those kinds of weapons into our stores, knowing that at that moment, we were going to need literally every tool in our arsenal to be able to deal with both the inbound commentary and critique that we were going to get, but also to get out of the rut of thinking of everything as, is this a press release or not? And so back to your question, you know, I think that uh, for upstanders to work, all of that foundational effort had to already be in place for us to do the kind of experimentation that we then did with video, uh, where we saw these stories as sort of three-minute shorts all on Netflix, where we saw a podcast opportunity to have a richer sort of to-and-fro discussion rather than sort of more of a narrative arc. We were fairly agnostic about what we thought would happen. We, we were looking at a multitude of ways to distribute, and then we just wanted you know, the performance to win out. We wanted to see what our customers found valuable and let them tell us you know, how they wanted to be engaged in this. How do you bring your employees or what you call partners, how do you bring them along on this journey? So we have parallel channels that are aimed at our partners. We have what we call the Partner Hub, which is a, a digital tool that is internal only to Starbucks. But then we also use Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram with our partners to both gather user-generated content, what's happening with them in their stores, uh, what's happening in their lives, what are they thinking about, what kinds of community-based volunteer work or things that they're doing do they want to spotlight for other partners and for us to share what we're thinking about with them. We're paying closer attention with our partners to what are they sending back to us. And what we started to see was, hey, I know an upstander. So I learned about a 14-year-old young lady in Los Angeles, California, who felt that she had been really bullied most of her life. And she, on her own, bootstrapped a geolocation app that could essentially help matchmake at lunch. If you were sitting alone at lunch in X school, this person could be matched up with you which is completely amazing. I mean, it was all on her own, 14 years old. And our partners were like, hey, I know this girl from my store. You should meet her. It's amazing. It's amazing. I'm wondering, with digital engagement and digital engagement systems, how do you know if it's working? Are there measurements that you're looking at brand health or some type of engagement or impact on community? How do you look at measures of success? I think we're still determining those, but I'll give you a couple of examples. And so one thing that we know from 
many trailing quarters of research is that the single most important determinant of a Starbucks customer's willingness to come back to us, 70% of those customers tell us that when we survey them, is not the coffee, it's not the store design, it's not the convenience, it's, it's not any of those things, although those are all great. It's a green apron wearing partner. It's a person. And so what we knew about our customer coming into this is that all of our brand affinity and loyalty is wrapped up in that relationship between the customer and the partner. That was key. And so one measure that we have had since Upstanders is to continue to see if Upstanders and telling these stories and the connection and the discussion that was happening with our partners in the store while these stories were in play helped to solidify that bond. And of course, we saw lots of anecdotal examples. We also saw data that supported that. There are measures that all PR people put out there in terms of how big is the noise, right? It's sort of like a giant volume button on a stereo or a TV. You just like crank it to 11 and that, you know, wow, we generated X billion impressions or 75 million views if you count three seconds as a view or, you know, whatever. I think we're still in a pretty Wild West environment in terms of what measurement of our craft really is. But the thing we cared about was what about the upstanders themselves? You know, is there a way to divine whether it worked or not based on what kind of contributions or awareness or web traffic or some other measure that was meaningful to those upstanders was. And Dave Vibora was able to generate literally 1,100% increase of his normal contributions in the first four weeks following his story being told through all the various platforms of upstanders that, that we had put out there. The woman who started a food donation app in Washington, D.C., saw her donations do very similar kinds of things. And so either between web traffic or money that was donated to these effectively baby NGOs, uh, we were able to, again, sort of test our theory, this thought experiment that, you know, we could use our scale for for some kind of good. It's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing stuff. Gets you up every day, doesn't it? It just gives you the conviction that, I mean, the, the thing we haven't really talked about is there's no Starbucks branding on any of this, literally none. Uh, and that was both conscious on our part, but also completely native or uh, natural to do in the sense that what we were really doing is just taking the platform and sort of turning it over to somebody else. It's like handing the mic off to somebody with a great story and just letting them roll. Let's talk about the future of digital engagement systems for Starbucks. It's such a new space and we're all learning and you alluded to a lot of those anecdotes of where things went well and you doubled down or things didn't and you adjusted. If you had unlimited resources right now, what would you do differently? Where would you go bigger? I think we would Facebook Live everything, everything. What we discovered over the course of Upstanders was that many of the mainstream media outlets that we were engaged with in a really deep way, so ABC News, CNN, Yahoo, a couple of others, they were all Facebook living these interviews simultaneously, and the numbers were just off the charts. Like what we were seeing in terms of engagement was extraordinary. And so we started thinking, well, we should just Facebook Live all of this. And so we've applied that to our partners in particular, especially with Facebook Workplace. That's really become a big part of sort of our arsenal over in the partner space. We have an obligation to bring our people along in this journey. And, you know, they're not all going to be here. And so I would Facebook Live everything. When you think about the skills of your team, The skills from 10 years ago and the skills you need today are different. The skills we'll need 10 years from now doing our jobs are also going to be different. How do you think about capability building in this digital engagement world? Boy, that's a great question. You know, when uh, 
So you're a Syracuse alum. I'm an Oregon alum. So when you go back, what do what do you see when you do you teach classes? Do you talk with like the dean of the J School Newhouse, yeah, right? Absolutely, yeah. Newhouse. So um, what do you see as the sort of uh, byproduct of what they're teaching in J schools now when you go? I see unleashed creativity. There are so many ways for creativity to manifest where before there were all these barriers to creation and now creation has been democratized. So I'm just amazed by what they're actually producing already at that age. Very DIY. You know, it's just, you know, it's almost punk rock in a way. Anybody can do this. Three chords and you can do it. And what I see are Swiss army knives. People who don't really have the religion of specialization anymore. They have the religion of engagement, of creativity, of anybody can do this. And so what I think of is I'm interested in sort of cross-pollinization. I'm interested in integration. I'm interested in having multiple sets of skills. And so, you know, what we find ourselves looking for coming right out of J schools or what we find ourselves looking for in the marketplace or trying to develop to internally are people who are like triple threat kind of people. You know, they're amazing storytellers. They can do something in the written word. They have some visual capability, whether that's, you know, photographs or video or whatever the case might be. And they understand the levers of distribution. And so they understand social, they understand digital, and they kind of get how to take all of those things together and put them in service of the story. That's the one thing I think hasn't changed. I really, I've always respected and loved fantastic storytellers. I'm Irish Catholic, so I'm like surrounded by people who tell stories. And so when you grow up in that kind of environment and you get sort of enchanted uh, or you fall in love with the idea of what, what can a story well told do? You know, it can spur action. It can, you know, there, there are any number of outcroppings that come from that. And so I want to give our storytellers a broader highway to go do their thing. How about four lanes? How about six lanes? You know, there's a lot more driving you can do there. That's, that's what I think of in terms of capability. It makes so much sense. I'm glad to know that film major that I got that I thought was just a hobby somehow, it's come back. It's relevant again. Thanks, Mom and Dad. <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. So what gets in the way? What are the challenges, the roadblocks to having the digital engagement system of your dreams? I think we're actually in a really unique moment in our history as communicators. We are in the era of fake news. I think that what we learned from the election is that we're so divided as a country and as people that the social media sort of vortex that we find ourselves in is really just an echo chamber of things we already believe. So as a consequence, I, I don't think we really know each other all that well. And therefore, I think that fake news can kind of blossom and proliferate in that environment because you're already preconditioned to believe these things. And so I worry a lot about what a fake news kind of environment does, which leads me to my second point, which is about mainstream media. You can really see the business impact of the struggle that's going on in that industry and, and how it affects our ability as communicators to have a trusted, you know, sort of third-party source to go to. Um, so when I think about those couple of things and then I think about the incoming administration and it's just going to be different, I think that it is clear that the American people wanted something different, uh, maybe or maybe not anti-Washington, but different than what had come before. All of these things sort of contribute to an environment in which our owned media, the things that, you know, the stories we tell, that we own, that we distribute, that we sort of throw all of the levers on, that we have the unique ability to dial up or down – it's probably never been more important than it is today. But, and this is a big but, 
in some ways what it does is it almost forces the idea of valuing journalism more to our side of the table than ironically the media companies that are sort of at the center of journalism in this country. You know, it is, if anything, kind of radical transparency. It's the idea of reporting on the company while you sit within it and then finding the stories to tell that sort of best demonstrate, you know, why we show up every day and what kind of things we believe in and connecting that to our business so that our customer base and our stakeholders can actually understand what our reason for being is and why we keep showing up and leaping up the stairs every day. And so all those things I think are real barriers. They create a real dynamic that is fundamentally different than where we've come from. Uh, but I don't think they're prohibitors. I just think they're things that we're going to have to steer between. Yeah, no, I'm fascinated by this post-truth world. It's a word of the year, you know, 2016. And I think if we can focus on the human stories that you're telling, we will realize that we have a lot more in common than we have different. And if we can just expose that raw humanity and realize that we're all trying to do a lot of the same things, like take care of our families and make the communities we live in better, that we're going to be okay. Corey, thank you so much for agreeing to be our very first guest on the new CCO podcast. It was a lot of fun, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Thanks, Stacey. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. That's it for this episode of the new CCO podcast, where we explore what it takes to be a next-gen CCO. We hope you'll join us again.